And authenticity is not a self-expression. It is an expression of how God has designed you. And it's actually what we say. We had a whole lesson on it, that we want you to find a place where you belong, a place where you can be authentic, and you can actual, you can be what God has designed you to be, not what you think is the best you, but what God has designed you to be. Welcome to the Light Switch Podcast by Illuminate Student Ministry a place for the skeptic, the Bible believer, as well as everyone in between. As you know, our world is often in the dark. Our hope is to flip the switch on topics surrounding biblical engagement, apologetic arguments, spiritual formation, and emotional wellness. We want Jesus Christ to illuminate every aspect of your life so that you can shine the light of Christ in every situation. Hey everybody, welcome to the Light Switch Podcast. Before we jump into any content, uh, if you like what you are hearing, um, if you've been following along with us now, this is I think our seventh episode, Uh, so if you are following along with us, we'd love for you to like and subscribe, leave comments, all that kind of stuff that totally boosts numbers, there's algorithms and all of the nonsense and what have you. So please do that on all of your uh, podcast listening platforms. Ugh, man, I feel gross just saying all of that. But um, we are uh, super excited to have with us our guest again, Randy Pister. Randy, hello. Hello, Matthew. How are you? Very well. You're very well. Good, good. Uh, our uh, office secretary is trying to get Swell to come back. Was it ever here to begin with? I think it was. Okay. I'm pretty sure it was. But I must have missed that. I know. So every time I walk into the door, I'm like, Mary, how are you? She's like, I'm swell. I'm like, nice. <laughs> I always say it back. It has to a her. leave it to beaver. I know, doesn't 50, it? 50s feel too. Is that great? Was a little bit before yeah, it's a, my time. Yeah. I don't know Tara's age, and yeah. nor my suggestion. She's. Yeah. She's, well, it's uh, Mary, actually. So. I think it's a Tara. No, Mary. Oh, Mary. Yeah. See, I, I missed that too. Yeah. <laughs> I missed that and I missed swell. <laughs> So, oh man, don't worry guys, we love you. You guys are awesome. Um, But we are uh, jumping into our podcast, and our podcast for today is an apologetics podcast. Again, our hope is to flip the switch on topics surrounding biblical engagement, apologetic arguments, spiritual formation, and emotional wellness. Uh, And today, uh, we are continuing kind of a second part um, if you remember in January, uh, we uh, recorded a podcast on postmodernism, uh, and we kind of unpacked that. So a lot of what we're talking about here stems from postmodernism um, and can uh, find its roots and its ties back into uh, the subjectivism that comes from postmodernism. But the title of today's podcast is Subway and Living Subhuman. Uh, and so before we even jump into this, Randy, if you were to go to Subway right now, what would be your go-to sub order? My order would be to walk back out the door and go to Diabello's, uh, Jersey Mike's, or to uh, even Jimmy John's if, if need be. He said even <laughs> Jimmy John's if need be. However... Like- if forced to stay in the building and order food, I would get a meatball sub. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Oh, man. We are not going to get royalties for this, okay? <laughs> no man. no disrespect to Subway, even though I just disrespected them. I uh, yeah. <laughs> I ate there for a number of years and uh, and moved on. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. Their seafood is real sketch. You know what I mean? <laughs> so is their former spokesman. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I didn't even think about that. That is a yep. fantastic tie-in today to today's uh discussion okay so you totally threw me off i i have a direction to go but that totally threw me off threw my threw me off i'm a subway melt guy except they don't make that anymore so now it's called the american melt apparently it's bacon what they call bacon and what they call ham and what they call turkey and provolone cheese it's delicious and you studied nutrition as a physical trainer. No. Okay. I took one class on nutrition as a physical it trainer. Shows. It does. What are you talking about? I meant more your dietary choices. There not it is. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm a 32, okay? Take it easy on the waistline. Um, all right, so uh, basically what we want to jump into is uh, this idea of what it means to be subhuman in how we live. Uh, and 
when it comes to uh, this idea, uh, I had had a conversation um, with my brother, who's actually a, a philosopher, um, and I was talking with him about this idea of living subhuman. Um, oh, uh, uh, my other brother, actually, who's a counselor. My whole family's really wickedly smart. I don't know what happened to me, but um, what uh, we were talking about was this idea that when you live in a way that you get whatever you want, your desires are always met, um, that doesn't matter your desire, whatever your desire is, is the desire you can pursue kind of a thing, um, that that causes you to, to live at a subhuman level um, when you pursue the evil desires that you have. Um, that that causes you to live at a subhuman level. Um, and so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, um, and that's what we're going to be diving into. Again, we're trying to uh, answer this question of, is there a standard that allows somebody to claim that they can live the way they desire. Is there this standard that says it's whatever I want or whatever I can have that I can live by? Is that the the greatest human good or is that causing us to live what we're talking about today as subhuman? Okay, so before you, uh, Randy, dive into this uh, really good book that you've purchased and have combed through with lots of highlighter, um, we need to kind of provide some definitions first. So um, the first thing is, can you help us understand what we mean when we ask the question or we make the statement subhuman? And I kind of want to break that up into two categories, Um, being the literature major you are, can you uh, give us just a quick, simple understanding of the word sub, like the word of beneath or below? Like how does that usually work its way out in a sentence when somebody claims something is subhuman, if you will? Yeah, it kind of has two. It can have one of, as a prefix, it can mean a couple different things. So you can have a paragraph and a subparagraph. So it's, it's like a, it's a, it's a part of, you know, and, and typically if you saw this in text, it would be like underneath the main paragraph. So you'll have like section 15, paragraph A, subsection, whatever. Yeah. So it's it's a part of a larger whole. Um, that's one way to indicate what, or to indicate a, a subparagraph or what sub might mean, like a, a smaller part of a larger whole. But it can also mean the idea of like lesser than. So if you're subhuman, you're less than human or less than fully human or... You're, you're so in the paragraph sense it doesn't mean that, but as a prefix it can also mean less than something. Yeah. So what you're saying is is that there uh, if there's a standard of humanity um, that's out there, which the postmoderns would say there isn't necessarily a standard of humanity. Um, but what you're saying is is that there is a standard of conduct that is uh, can be categorized as human. Right, so there's something that separates us from the rest of the animal kingdom, that makes us either animals or humans, kind of a thing. Is that what I'm hearing you say? And that to yeah. operate, yeah, and then to operate below that standard is to operate at a subhuman level. Yep, and that's why when you know it, when you hear someone say like that's dehumanizing or that that dehumanizes someone, yes, okay. it's treating them in a subhuman manner. It's treating them as not yes. be, being worthy of, um, now, how, how, again, how you ground the idea of worthiness, respect, value, dignity, purpose, meaning, and all of that. That's, that's what we're here to talk about. But, yeah. um, you know, even our secular humanist friends would, would want to affirm those properties of, of being human. Yeah. And so to not treat somebody like they have them is to treat them in a subhuman manner or to dehumanize them. Yeah. And you know, what makes us human, it's, it's, a collection of things. I mean, it's more than just opposable thumbs, right? It's right. In, in brain size. It's, uh, you know, a Christian would say it's we're made in the image of God. We're yep. a special act of creation. Yep. And we bear God's image in a way that no other member of the animal kingdom does. Right. And just in terms of biology, I mean, we're, we're, we're apex predators. We have the right. biggest brains. And yep. I, I'd say one key distinguishing feature, and we'll come back to this, is the... the Do not, we really have the biggest brains? Um, I, I've... I should clarify that. I think of, I think of, um, I mean, obviously, like a, a, 
I don't know whale anatomy. I'm going to assume yeah. a blue whale has a bigger, <laughs> a bigger brain than that. Yeah, I, I should clarify that. That's yeah. a good point. Like in terms of like you know hominids and oh apes yeah, okay, and chimps okay, okay, okay. And, and and primates. Yeah. Um, of that, that uh, I believe the right term is class. Maybe I, I'm getting. I'm not a biology guy. So well, it's kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. And okay. so I, I like yeah, taxonomically with the you know if you hold the Darwin's uh, theory of, of common ancestry and, and if, you know that tree of life diagram, we're on the yeah. the, the branch you know coming out of the the, the primate section. So I right. think that's what I mean by the biggest brains. Yeah. But we gotcha. as a species are not just conscious. You know, there's gradients of consciousness from. You know, your mouse has it and can navigate a maze. You know, dolphins can star in shows like Flipper decades ago or Lassie and all that. But it, it, we, we ask questions like, why do we exist? Why are we here? Yeah. We engage in moral reasoning. We engage in uh, significant emotional reasoning, existential right. reasoning, thinking about questions of meaning. Right. We don't observe that. Uh, we use tools and language to a significantly higher degree. Yep. So there's something even on just an evolutionary perspective that's unique yeah. about humans. And it's not just being apex predators and you know, right. able to, to build technology and do all those things. So it's, yeah. but there's, again, there's DNA, but it, I, I think there's something um, sui generis, one of a kind, unique mm-hmm. about human beings as a species that you just don't find, you find traces of it in the animal kingdom. You don't find it yeah. completely anywhere else. And consciousness is a big, big one. I want to, if we have time, talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause I think that that's a, a really important fact. I also just want to slide back to a fact that he just, spoke French on our podcast. I don't know French, I know Spanish. <laughs> yes. That was a sub-level of French that I've ever heard, okay? I studied French in high school. That was like 20 years ago, okay? So, um, anyway. No, no, yeah, that's a beautiful thing to say, and I appreciate what you're saying because there is a reality that you don't see dolphins swimming around in cities, right? You don't see... Um, you might see ants swimming around in cities, but they're not humans, right? There's a difference between stepping on an anthill and killing another human. I've also heard it said this way. Um, there's a distinguishing factor uh, when you look at wolves and bears and lions and tigers and those kinds of animals. Oh, my. I know. When uh, I feel like you were asking for me to say that. I was. You were inviting that. I was. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, it's good. I like it, but there's something that happens. Let's say that a lion kills a human. You don't go and arrest the lion and put it on trial and gain the, uh, 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 um, um, bring in the evidence and, and try to figure out if, well, is the lion guilty? Right? No, like you don't do that. There's something that's, that's meaningfully different than, if we go out in the woods and you all, you're the only one who comes back and what does, what does the world, how does the world handle that? Well, we gather evidence. We, Randy, why, where did Matthew go? Like what happened and all of these kinds of things. And there's a reason why that is, is because there's a conduct that you're being accused of that either has evidence to support it or doesn't have evidence. But the reason yeah. why we are a justice oriented people is, is because what you did if you did it, was dehumanizing and subhuman. And there's a name for it in, in the law. So in this, this was a very interesting part of take, taking criminal law in law school is that you know when you lay out the elements of a crime, you have to have what's called the actus reus, the, the act itself. So firing a gun, mm. um, for example, if you're Alec Baldwin on a set of rust, for example. Oof, too soon. No, it, it's current. I know, it's not, but it's I'm just I'm not making too... a joke about it. It's a tragedy. Oh, it is a tragedy. I'm just saying like that's the act. But yeah. the, the question is, and this will be the question at law is, um, there's another phrase, and if you've seen, like, for example, Legally Blonde or something, they talk about yeah. this. It's mens rea, which is Latin yeah. for evil mind. Yeah. You have to have an evil mind. Yeah. That's why if somebody is, you know, mentally insane, they don't... Ab- Wait, what's the Latin for it? What did you mens say? Mens rea. It means mens e- evil rea. mind. You have to show evil mind to have criminal liability. Oh, man. And so that's why we wouldn't charge a wolf. It doesn't right. have... An evil mind. It has a mind. It doesn't have the, a moral instinct between right and wrong. So that, that's a key element of any criminal prosecution. There's a mens rea. There's an evil mind showing that has to be made. So what – because this is what's really fascinating is – and this does play into our, our understanding is when you do something at a subhuman level, 
you are doing that with a mens rea. Did I say that right? Mens rea. Yeah, you're doing that with an evil mind, a, 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 a mind capable of evil is what you're yep. doing that with. So then the reality, and that's that's not biblical. That's just that's just law, right? Yeah, I mean, I, mens rea, to convict somebody, you have to make that showing for, for, for criminal liability to attach. So then what you're saying then is that this idea of objectivity and subjectivity, the idea is that there is a moral standard that's right for everyone, everywhere, always, or a subjective standard that's only right based on certain circumstances. What you're saying is, is that if in the case of, um, oh, as you're seeing, a uh, guy walks into his into his house, finds this activity happening, flies into a rage. There's still a crime that was committed, yeah. But they had to find a new category for it. Yeah, it's and, it's not as bad as murder, and it's not morally excusable either. Right. It's kind of how how the it developed. Right, and so then therefore, even the idea of something being subjective has to will will eventually fall under the objective standard of human conduct. Within the, within the ideas that you're talking, and the reason why I'm I'm saying that is because uh, if you are taking a human life out of an evil thought process, you are committing murder, regardless of what's happening. Again, that's different than self defense, right? Yeah. And so the the reason why I'm I'm bringing this up is because as we we move through this. We have to come to the idea of what does subjectivity and what does objectivity mean in order to be able to really say, all right, you killed a person. That's objectively wrong. And so can, can you help us understand what subjective and objective mean in this kind of frame of reference to a subhuman living? Yeah, I mean the the analogy I heard somebody give once, uh, an apologist friend of mine. It's it's like you know if you're on a, he he was getting onto a, a car ferry to cross over from America to Canada, and and he's sitting in his car and the boat began to move, and and so you feel this movement and you you wonder like, am I moving? Or like imagine you're you're, you're at a traffic light and like cars are moving. How do, how do you know if you're if you're moving or not, or if they're moving relative to each other? You find a fixed reference point. You find like a. a a stoplight or a sign or a building. Yep. And the, the problem would be, what if, what if they all began moving Yeah, <laughs> the way that you know, on a river to know if you're moving, you look at the shore and you see if you're receding from it or approaching it. Okay. It's me that's moving. And so if something's objective, there's like a, there's an outside of us reference point. There's, there's like a, a standard, a, a measuring stick, something we can look to or look at, uh, maybe not literally in the yeah. case of morals, obviously, yeah. but just um, a set of oughts and ought nots that, yeah. that are, part and parcel of any sort of moral, you know, objective moral value or duty right. and look to those. Um, they're outside of us. We didn't create them. We, we yep. didn't build them. They yeah. would exist and continue to be true even if we, we didn't agree with them. Right. Whereas if it's subjective, um, you know, we're the measure of all things. Things are moving. They're fluid. Right. And we're free to define them, redefine them. And there right. is no objective standard. We're the standard. So right. it really it's with objective, there's a transcendent standard. It's true even if everyone doesn't believe it and disagrees right. with it, whereas subjective, it's really, you know, it's there's it's not it's not transcendent and it's it's just what a person believes and and if it's subjective, it could be culturally defined. Yeah, and then you have to ask, well, who in the culture gets gets a say? Is right? Uh, is it is it men? Is it women? Is it property owners? I mean, the answer's kind yeah. of changed over time. Right. And or is it the, or is it the individual? So it could be either culturally or you know defined yeah. by society, or it could be individually defined. But bottom line, it's. It's objective. If it's true, even if no one likes it, no one believes it, it's still true because right. it's part of reality. It's a it's a transcendent thing we didn't build. It's a it's a it's um, furniture of the universe, moral furniture of the universe. I heard yeah. someone call it once. Yeah. So then the so then the the next question then becomes is what we would say that subjectivism subjectivism is appropriate in some spaces, right? When it doesn't have to do with a moral standard or a moral issue, right? You might like ice cream. And I might like cake, right? Yeah, for for truth, we don't want it because it it doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. It's incoherent. All the problems we talked about with postmodernism, right? But with personal preferences that aren't truth claims, correct? Yeah, I yeah. Mean, have at it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, 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 it. There's a reason that you know it's all a matter of taste. Or right. There's no accounting for bad taste. I right. Mean, yeah. Some things are <clears throat> subjective. If yeah. you say I don't like that piece of art, that's fine. That's your preference. Yeah. If you say it's not beautiful. I mean, we can we can get into that debate of whether right. beauty is objective or not, but right. 
Um, you could go one level deeper and say, you know, that's not immoral. Oh, okay. this, this particular conduct's not immoral. And yeah. And you see this in the schools these days with, you know, is it a fact or is it a, a value or is it an opinion? Mm-hmm. And that line's gotten okay. real blurry with, with education. Yeah. Um, because we do think obje- moral values and duties are objective for yeah. them to actually be what they are. Yeah. Otherwise it is just preference to say, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie. Right. Don't commit corporate fraud. Right. Which then lends itself to the meta narrative, right? And uh, the postmodernists would say that there's no such thing as a meta narrative. Meta narrative. So then they would say if there's no such thing that is an overarching story, then there really isn't any purpose point or or value to making those objective standards. Um, so, did you want to add? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, yeah I mean, they they would. On a postmodern, you know, relativistic subjective framework, yeah, there there are no objective moral values and duties, no really objective source of yeah of truth, and you just said relativism, right? Uh, on a relativism worldview, or yeah, so so more relativism is another way of saying like morals are subjective. They're they're relative to the culture or the person, and I, I like C.S. Lewis's warning. Um, this is in the Abolition of Man, page fifty nine. His warning is that the power of man to make himself what he pleases means the power of some men to make other men what they please. Mm. And that's the thing. It's, okay, well, yeah, this, this sounds great on, on, on the initial, you know, on first blush. It's like it, we get to define our own meaning, define our own purpose, define right or wrong for ourselves. The problem is what if someone else in the exercise of their autonomy wants to define it for you? And like, well, well, they right. can't do that. Right. Well, you, now you've just posited an objective. Yeah. In, which you've denied. So, right. yes, they can. Yeah. And if they have big, more, bigger muscles, more guns, or more friends, or more resources. Yeah. They, they can, and that's Lewis's point. The power of man to make himself what he pleases means the power of some men to make other men what they please. Yeah, and that's and, and I, I think what needs, to, what needs to be said is that this is, and I love what C.S. Lewis is saying, but let's put him in, in where he's, his, his historical context. He's talking a, a right after the World War, World War II. He's saying these are, the, these are the atrocities and things that are happening, and if we say these things, these, more of these things will happen. Those guns now have turned into phones, those bombs have, or the the more the more power and all of those things are now economic. They're now business oriented. They're now all of these other facets of uh, of our societies. They're not necessarily guns. And so th- that's something that I think we need to understand is that there are other ways that people can force you and determine for you what it means to be human or non-human. And that's the problem that we're having is because those humans, those people are just humans and they are determining the definition of a human. There's one other one other piece to think about yeah. what does it mean to be human? And I'll just I guess I'll wrap up with the consciousness piece. I mean, you have oh, to yes. you have to ask yourself, what am I? Not just who am I, but what am I? Mm-hmm. And on beautiful certain views, you know, I mean, Jesus in Matthew ten twenty eight warns. He says, you know, don't fear those who can kill the body and do no more, but fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. And biblically speaking, it's an idea. Uh, J.P. Morland calls it Thomistic substance dualism. Mm-hmm. We could have a whole podcast about yeah. that. But it's this idea that yeah. you are a soul yep. that has a body. Fundamentally, yep. you are a you are a, you're you're a soul that has a body. Yeah. So like it. That's why when the soul leaves the body, it becomes a corpse. Uh, but you continue to exist. That's why Jesus can tell that the thief on the cross or the, the criminal depends on. Yeah, some some Greek study I've yet to do on exactly what that phrase is originally, but that you'll be with me today. You'll be with me in in paradise, and so. But there are branches of philosophy of mind and neuroscience that would say there is no you. Yeah, there is no I. There is no ego. There is no self. That is all an illusion. So there's a guy named. This is just an example. Michael uh, Graziano. He's a neuroscientist at Princeton. Um, He suggests that consciousness is a kind of con game the brain plays with itself. So the brain's a computer. It evolved to simulate the outside world, um, and it simulates itself. It's a crude approximation of its own neurological processes. In other words, yourself is an illusion. There is no you. You have thoughts, but there's no owner. There's no unifying person. There's a, we sense a ghostly presence, a self inside the head. It's all just data processing. He says, quote, the machine mistakenly thinks it has magic inside it, and then it calls that magic consciousness. So there is no – this view is called physicalism. The idea that you're just thinking meat. Like there is no self. There is no. You're, you're just a, a brain stem and a nervous oh, system and a brain. Yeah. There is no you. There is no I. You don't exist. None of us does. There's just no self at all. Just thoughts without a thinker. 
So you have, you have to wrestle with that initial question, even to know what it means to be human, to talk about consciousness, yeah. what am I? Yeah. Not just who am I, but because there is, yeah. is there even a who yeah. on that view? And so these guys go to conferences and they argue amongst them non-selves. Yeah. Because they don't, not all are physicalists, but I mean, that's. <laughs> yeah. They argue amongst they them think and not speak and act. <laughs> they think and speak and act in a way to, to suggest that they think there's really an I or a you or yeah. a self or an ego, a mind, yeah. but it's just thoughts without a thinker. Yeah. And so that's something to. Oh my goodness. To just ponder. I mean, it would. Thankfully, in the biblical worldview, there's a, a clear answer to that. There is a you. Yeah. There, there, it, it's not an illusion. Um, same issue with pantheism. Pan, all theism, God. All are God. Yep. Matthew, you and I are actually God. We're the same monad. The, yep. the reality, center of reality, it's just one undifferentiated monad, one thing. Yep. And it's just an illusion that we're trapped in where we think we're different people. Yep. Similar problem. The self's an illusion. Yep. So Man. that's a threshold question. Do I even exist? And now we're going back to Descartes, I think. Yeah. Cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am. And yep. that's actually had some entailments that have led to today's autonomy and individualism and all that right. that I could get into. You yeah. have to look at Locke and Hobbes and others. But right. um, so I just want to throw that in there. Yeah, no. I, I think it's confusion and or despair when you look at the yeah. alternatives. I mean, you, you want to be able to affirm that you exist in, di- right. in contradis- or, you know, in distinction from others. Right. Because that and the, the one fundamental issue that you have with that is, is that that is a, a complete disparagement of philosophy, right? That you, you're, you're, a, you're, a, you're a, your last phrase that he says on there, you're a, you're a, a conglomerate of thoughts without a thinker, something mm-hmm. like that. Yep. And, and that, that totally dispels the past, I don't know, almost 2,500 years of philosophical thought. Uh, let's just do a quick review. Uh, the problem is that people think you're just thinking meat, um, that there's really no point to having any objective standard, um, but that anybody can do whatever they want, however they want, and whatever appeases the individual desire. That's probably the best way to describe subjectivism uh, at this moment. So we need to talk about telos uh, and who determines it, and then we need to talk about collective choices. Um, and then once we get through that, we need to provide some, uh, practicality to this. So Randy, help us understand the idea of telos. Some people, so our audience probably is like, they don't even know what telos would be. Um, so how do you understand the definition of telos? Yeah, it's, it's the idea essentially that, um, it's the end or the, the, the purpose for which something exists. Like it, it's the reason for something. So the there's a teleological argument that comes mm-hmm. from that word telos, and it's looking at the universe and how it's so finely tuned for life, and it's so perfectly balanced for you know uh, a, a life-permitting universe, a life-permitting planet, and, and all of that. And so it's it looks like there's a purpose to the universe because you see it so finely balanced for creatures like us to walk around and ask, why are we here, and who made us, and things like that. So it's... It, because of its design, it looks like there's a telos, a purpose, a meaning, an intent uh, behind it. So yeah. when we ask, you know, what's the telos of of man? I mean, yeah. if it, it's funny how much, you know, like why are we here? It gets you know a lot of play. People climb mountains and seek out gurus and right. and all that stuff. And it's a really simple answer. I think it's the first question in the Westminster Shorter Confession: is What is the chief end of man? Which, why are we here? And the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Yeah. And uh, so even to this point, right, I heard this this YouTube video put out this argument that the teleological argument actually doesn't make any sense because who designed cancer? Who designed the weather to operate the way it did and kills a ton of people? Wouldn't a good God be able to design things better? Um, And, uh, man, it's just that I I, I don't know if you have a quick response to that uh, whole argument, but – that always that always bothers me when people just kind of throw out particular Thomistic thinking, which is based on Thomas Aquinas's thought process um, from the 15, uh, 12, 1300s. And they're just like, ah, yeah, he doesn't really know what he's talking about. And you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's well, it's sort of conflating two issues. You know, one is that the the, the positive evidence for design is the incomprehensibly fine, you know, precise and, and fine tuning is not controversial. There are non-Christian right. scientists who would acknowledge like change the constants of, of, of nature, gravity, um, ratios between the mass of like electron and proton and 
the cosmological constant and the rate of exp- all those things. Like, and Hugh Ross of Reasons to Believe has cataloged a, a, a tremendous list of these things. If you wanted to somewhere to look with again with Reasons to Believe, but it um, or Stephen Meyer's new book, which oh, yeah. I, I mentioned in a different podcast, uh, the, return the Return of the God, God Hypothesis. Uh, the God yeah. Hypothesis. So yeah. it's that's positive evidence. This other evidence doesn't negate it, dispel it, make it go away. It's still very, very persuasive. Secondly, yeah. this question—it's a—it's a valid one. It's a good one. It's really a question about natural evil. Yeah. It's a question of you know why, why, why does nature cause harm to people? And there, yeah. there are answers that are given to that. But you don't look to the teleological argument. You look to right. the, the problem of evil and, and those kinds of questions. And and there are answers to that. I mean, the, the short one is, scripture says creation groans. You know, it's waiting for renewal. And right. there was a fall, and it didn't just involve humans. Like you know, yeah. that there was a. A, a sundering, as it were, of, of creation in a way where, yeah. um, you know, tragedies and horrible things do happen to us. And it's not that there's a bad design. It's not that God's unloving or evil. Right. Um, you know, there's there's a it's a it's a deep, deep question. It's an important one. It's every it's one every Christian asks just as much as every non-Christian. I mean, yeah. see, see the book of Job. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it is a, a valid question and that's right. worthy of its own podcast as well. Yeah. But it's that's really dismissing the teleological argument with the the problem of, of evil from right. natural evil and I don't think that that works right. they, they don't cancel out like that they don't yeah and so um, again let's get back to that telos idea there's this design there's this purpose this end point and you said it perfectly that the design of man the point of man is to be with God and to or to dwell with God and to know him forever Um and so I know uh, we are coming up on uh, our last little bit of uh, time here. So, um, Randy, with with that in mind, uh, what do you have for us as we uh, touch base and kind of conclude here? So I guess a message of hope in, in what you find in, in Christ and in the gospel. And so I have a longer quote. It's from, and I mentioned this in a different podcast. It's, it's Biblical Critical Theory by Christopher Watkin, W-A-T-K-I-N. He's a philosopher. Uh, he teaches at a, at a university in somewhere, I believe, in Australia. Okay. Uh, it's a brand new book that came out this actually last year, um, late last year. It's 2023 now. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he he traces how this idea of individualism, you know, has has evolved over time. And so let me let me first tell you the the issue is that you know in our contemporary landscape of identity formation, the, there's this idea that my identity is something I must express outwardly, not something that's hidden inside me. You can call it expressive individualism or a culture of authenticity, but it's, in, it's a culture in which people are encouraged to find their own way, discover their own fulfillment, and do their own thing. Mm. And so identity has become something that it, – it's become a commodity. It's exchanged, valued, bought, and sold. We all have a yeah. personal brand, and corporations wow. know this. They have teams of psychologists that, that, that target this. Mm. And so it's uh, – you know, we're, we're competing with each other on, on social media, and it's – you know, capital flows that way. That's why you have influencers on – YouTube and, and all these things, but it's TikTok and Instagram and all of those. And we we want to think, you know, that you know that we're most free, um, that, that you know we're not really coerced by by our culture or corporations or marketing, and we're blind to how much we often we often are. It's very subtle and it's very um, in, insidious. So I, here's his his quote. Um, it's from a chapter called Eschatology, which is the study of the end things, the end times when yeah. when Christ returns. He says, "The prospect of my true identity." Being revealed in Christ on the last day means I am not faced with the choice of either realizing and actualizing all the aspects of myself now or having them lie dormant forever. My identity can be messy, confusing, and even frustrating to me in the present in a way that does not signal an ultimate or final denial of who I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and what I shall be has not yet been made known. He's quoting Paul there in 1 Corinthians 15. In the late... In a late modern culture that rhymes complete self-expression with authenticity and places a heavy burden on selves to become transparent and fully actualized, I know that as a Christian I need not be crushed by the obligation of having fully to express or even fully to understand myself here and now. If I remain torn between identities, if I remain frustrated by who I am until the moment of my death, I know that just like the carnivorous lion who will lie down with the lamb and yet be more lion than ever, there awaits for me a subversive fulfillment of the tangled knot of my desires, assumptions, blind spots and predispositions that will surprise delight and fulfill me in ways I never dreamed possible. Mm. So in terms of our telos, in many ways it's, it's waiting to be fulfilled, realized, actualized. We don't have to have it all in the here and now is, yeah. is the point. And that's a message of, 
of hope, I think, yeah. in, in a culture that's saying you've got to express yourself, you've got to be actualized. Right. You know, YOLO. You know, it's yeah. This is it. And man, and you've got corporations and branding and marketing and competition on social media and all these cyberbullying, all these things feeding into right. anxiety and depression for our, our students and for our young people. Yeah. Um. And and our not so young people. And yeah. it's Jesus has so much more for us in that, in terms of, of our telos and our being and our purpose. Yeah. It's to glorify him and enjoy him forever. And if we think right. that doesn't sound freeing, right. nothing can be further from the truth. It is. Right. He, we don't have to figure it all out here now. And he, you know, he, he grounds that, that identity for us. I, I like that, yeah. that phrase from Paul. I am. I am what I am. Yep. Um, not to, which is a, a Popeyeism, but um, <laughs> I am what I am. And that's a, that's an older poll, but um, yeah. yeah, it's, you know, where are you going to find your identity? That's what it comes down to. Is it going right. to be culture and corporations and marketing right. and branding and all that? Or are right. we going to find identity in somebody who who gives us that in, in, in love and in grace and on yeah. a cross to redeem us and rescue right. us and, and show us a better, or a much better way? are you going to find it in a corporation that the moment you say something that doesn't align with the, the mass majority or doesn't sell your product fast enough or doesn't influence enough people, they're going to drop you because you are no longer valuable to them? Here's, right. here's what he says. The difference is between the Christian paradigm of becoming a me under the gaze of one who loves me and possessive individualism's process of becoming a me under, under the manipulation of the market that tries to monetize my identity yeah. while, while concealing its true motives. Yeah. Our student ministry has four values, and it's the same. It spells out the same acronym, BASE, that we use for our podcast. And it's belonging, authenticity, service, and evidence. And authenticity is not a self-expression. It is an expression of how God has designed you. And it's actually what we say. We had a whole lesson on it, that we want you to find a place where you belong, a place where you can be authentic, and you can actual, you can be what God has designed you to be, not what you think is the best you, but what God has designed you to be. So we have been unpacking a lot in this podcast and one of the things we've landed with is we've landed with this idea of the evil mind or the mens rea uh, this idea that there's something that distinguishes us from the animal kingdom and randy you had uh as we were kind of pausing here you had just talked about how you see things in in categories of of humanity right can you help us just kind of give us that framework as we step into chatting yep. about this. So what, what do you, what do you mean by the, the three levels that you just articulated to us? And this is very much um, just, you know, my own little way of understanding it, not something I got yeah. from anywhere else. So yeah. all the, all the errors are mine, <laughs> but it, yeah, I mean, to ask the question, you know, what does it mean to be subhuman? It, it's to, to not be human, but I mean, I, on the one hand, you could say, well, to be truly human is to be, you know, a, a Christ follower and, and be all that, that God designed you to be and intended you to be and, and hopes and wants you to be. Um, but that sort of almost like condemns much of humanity that maybe doesn't know, know Christ to be yeah. this subhuman. I mean, I, I kind of think of, so the three, three categories are this, like you've got your, your people who just are, you know, you're sent for prison experiments, your, you know, people who are just sadistic, violent, yeah. you know, just, just do dehumanizing, cruel yeah. things to other human beings, um, if you're not familiar with the Stanford experiment, can you just quickly give us a overview of that? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a psychology experiment that they actually cut short. I mean, they, they didn't finish it because it, it had just too many ethics problems. They made half, I think half the, this is a long time ago now, I took a psychology class in college, but yeah. they half of them were, oh, yes. half were guards, yep. you, you had volunteers, half were guards, half were inmates, yep. and the guards... Again, all volunteers didn't know each other. Just the guards just began acting incredibly cruel, and the yeah. inmates just sort of rolled okay, with right? it, yeah. and then they, they eventually shut it down. But it's like Lord of the Flies. It's like Hannibal Lecter. Like just, yeah. you know, when civilization breaks down, the law of the jungle, inhumane treatment. That's not most people. Right. Thank God. Like yeah. not even, not even close. Yeah. You know, most people are are working hard. They're getting by. Yeah. Um, many don't know the Lord. I don't want to say that they're subhuman, but there's right. this statement in John ten. Verse 10, where Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And he's saying this to biologically alive people. So he yeah. means something different by life. Yeah. There's, there's this, you can be physically alive, but spiritually dead. Yeah. And Paul talks about this and, and Peter as well. And so it's, yeah. so there's subhuman in the sense of just you're a sadistic monster. That's yeah. kind of the more, I think, usual understanding. But from a Christian standpoint, there's subhuman, not in your, you know, 
behavior, as it were. It's just you're physically alive, but you're not spiritually alive. You don't have that regenerate life that yeah. that, that Christ offers. And in, in that sense, that's what you know. That's why Christians, when we we evangelize, we, we share the gospel. We're not trying to you know rudely or meanly proselytize. We're, we're we're trying to, in our view, save people who might might not know that they have a spiritual sickness or cancer, or that they're spiritually drowning or whatever metaphor you want to use, but they don't have this second kind of life that Jesus says he offers that we all need, but mm-hmm. many people might not be aware of it. So in some sense, if you don't know Christ, you are subhuman. Yeah. Not to say you're at all on par with someone, you know, like a serial killer or something, right. but you're you're not all that, you know, you're an image bearer of God, but you're not in relationship with him. You're, yeah. you're not as, you're not living out as your, your full potential as an image bearer and someone who, is really, you know, God desires to have in his kingdom reigning with him forever as yeah. his beloved child. And, you know, Paul tells us we'll judge angels. We're, right. we're, we're co-heirs with Christ. Right. Um, so in, in that sense, there's kind of two categories of yeah. subhuman, but I don't want to equate them in terms of their behavior. They're obviously right. very uh, far apart, but there is, we can't ignore Christ's words in John that he came that we may have life to the full. And he's saying this to people who are very much physically alive, but ne- not necessarily spiritually alive. Right. That's a great distinction because it's not that you're saying that a human that is not a Christian is not as valuable as another human, nor are you saying that even the serial killer is less valuable in the fact that they are an image bearer of Christ or an image bearer of God, right? That the Imago Dei, as the technical term, the image of God, has been imprinted, has been uh, been stamped on every human being to ever walk this earth. Yep. But what you are saying is, is that, that that image has a standard of, of living. Be holy as I am holy, right? Peter says yep. that, which is a, a quote from the Old Testament. And you're saying uh, that what is happening is that, sure, you might not be a serial killer, uh, but if you are not following Jesus, if you're not a part of God's kingdom, you are still in rebellion, from your creator and you are spiritually dead. So you might have biological life, but your soul is perishing. Your soul is, is your spirit is dead um, until you make that decision to follow Jesus and uh, pursue his kingdom, his desire, his will for your life. That's when you then enter into the kingdom of heaven, um, not in a, like an eschatological way, but a, as a here and now kind of way where we're not in the kingdom of heaven yet, but we are ambassadors, as Paul calls us in Second uh, uh, Corinthians. Um, yeah. uh, I think Second Second Corinthians five, yeah. Yep. Um, and so what you're saying is you're saying that those three categories of of human you've got the the deplorable de- decadence of evil mass shooters, murderers, serial killers. You've got those, but then you've got the mundane, normal, simple human that's just kind of meandering through life. And then you have Christians who are living out the Imago Dei in their every, as yeah. often as they can. Yeah, because we're, we're talking about, you know, what does it mean to be subhuman versus human? Yeah. I think there's a world, the worldly understanding, and it's the, you know, people who commit war crimes and commit atrocities. They're the subhuman ones. And what's often, I think, misunderstood, again, from a Christian theological or worldview perspective, yeah. if you're not a Christian, you, you are in some sense still subhuman, yeah. although you're not doing anything nearly as, moral, as morally reprehensible as right. that extreme example because, again, yeah, you're yeah. physically alive, but you're spiritually yeah. dead. And that's what Paul tells us. Like, yeah. you, you were dead in your transgressions. You're right. you're alienated from God. You're, yeah. you're, you're not living to your full potential as a, as a human being, as right. God created and intended and designed. Um, that's why Christ came, to restore all of that, to, right. to give us a chance to, to be that. Right. Um, and this is not like a self-help, self-betterment, message. I mean, right. th- that being said, Christ does not want to leave you where you are. Yeah. That's called sanctification. We're to grow, but Paul's clear, we're to be conformed to the image of Christ. Right. In how we grow, it's to be more like him. Yeah. And I've actually heard it said that salvation is the start line of the walk with Jesus. And some, I've actually even said this myself in a sermon. I, I heard it from a pastor, um, I think out in Grand Rapids, that we oftentimes will see salvation as the end point. And if salvation is the uh, finish line that we've seen for a lot of churches where they're like, oh, good, we got them to raise their hand. We got them to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Okay, now just keep coming to church. Give us your money and just 
sit back, relax until the kingdom comes. And that I don't think is what you're saying, certainly from no. Jesus's words no. of to live life to the fullest. You're supposed to go and live. You're supposed to go and do things. And, um, and so like, it's this idea. So, so I kind of want to shift towards, okay, so we've got these three categories. You've got the murderous atrocity, atrocity causers. Then you've got the normal human that's kind of just living life, but is in rebellion. And, uh, the term would be unregenerate, right? They don't have a regenerated spirit. Okay. But then you have the Christ follower and in the, the Christ follower or the Christian, you have, I, I would see actually two categories of Christian. And you have the Christian that's just accepted, just they raised their hand once, they had an experience with Jesus. Yeah, sure, they're a Christian. You see this in the yeah. you, you see this in Barna uh, studies where they'll ask, uh, did you make a personal commitment to follow Jesus? Um, and that's how they distinguish between a committed Christian or a Christ follower and a uh, nominal Christian is the terms that they use. And a nominal Christian has never made that distinct call or that distinct response to following and having a, a, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so what's interesting is um, you've referenced this book a couple times. It's the Philosophical Foundations for a Christian Worldview. Um, it's by J.P. Moreland. Yeah, yep. yeah J.P. Moreland and William Lane Craig. Uh, and we've talked about this, this quote even uh, before, but I just want to um, read this quickly to you guys. And this is uh, talking about those, the importance of philosophical training and how it's not just for scholars and pastors, but that it also holds a lot of benefit for lay people. And um, this is what they talk about as the damage that's been done because philosophy and critical thinking has been relegated to the intellectual sphere, the, the, the Christian thinker, if you will. This is what they say. It says, quote, our churches are unfortunately overpopulated with people whose minds, as Christians, are going to waste. They may be spiritually regenerate, but their minds have not been converted. They still think like non-believers. Despite their Christian commitment, they remain largely empty selves. What is an empty self? An empty self is a person who is passive, sensitive, busy and hurried, and incapable of developing an interior life. Such a person is inordinately individualistic, infantile, and narcissistic. And when you read that list, when you hear that, um, again, that's from J.P. Moreland's, and that's in the very beginning. That's an invitation to Christian philosophy. It's their introduction. When you read that, you realize that even within Christianity, you could be completely regenerate in your spirit and be a, a, a be have salvation in Jesus but you can live an empty self you can live as an empty self and uh, I think that that's what I is at the heart of I think our apologetics podcasts that we're trying to get people to see is is that we want you guys to not just be Christians but we want you to know and own your faith so much so that you are pursuing truth and the fruit of the spirit in as many avenues as you can throughout life, that you are living with God and for his kingdom. And so uh, just to kind of um, put a, put a bow on all of this. I have several bows. Yeah, several bows. <laughs> you wear them frequently too, don't you? I do. You do, you do. When you have a bow collection like mine, you, you have yeah. to. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably talking about hunting bows, something super manly, aren't you? I am not. <laughs> Never hunted a day in my life. <laughs> you have all boys. How could you have? Uh, anyway, we don't have time for this. <laughs> they don't want to clean animals, and they neither do I. And yeah, I'd, I'd rather just sit and read a book for sure, and let for someone sure. else hunt, <laughs> and then eat their venison that you uh, <laughs> that they they get, get for you, right? So in Galatians 5, we actually see uh, even Christ's mandate for us. And actually, even before there, uh, Randy, I want to throw this over to you really quickly for Romans 12. And just this idea, Romans 12, 1, and, and you know that you, uh, you can quote the passage for us, but just that idea of how do we as Christians, it, maybe you're a Christ follower in this moment and you're like, yeah, but how do I not be an empty self? Mm-hmm. 
what what is your what is your practical application for a person like that? It's a it's a couple things. Um, can I read a few passages re- really quickly? Yeah. So yeah, just tell us where they're at. Yep. So there's. Um, let me start with Second Peter chapter one, mm. verse five, and uh, going up through verse eight. For this re- very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. So again, we're starting with faith. We're starting with, and and, and that's as, as an important point earlier that we're saved and then we go from there. Yes, we're not working towards salvation. That's Correct. that's salvation by works. That's good personism. Absolutely. Uh, you we're know, not doing that. Romans eight says, you know, there's no condemnation in Christ. You've you start saved. Now you can respond in love um, and yes. out of just the security of knowing that your Father in heaven loves you and right. Christ has paid your 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 debt. Right. Rather than, than have to try to earn it yourself. Right. We're talking about what you're about to read is the process of sanctification. Yep. Where we are working and working out our salvation with fear and trembling, it's that idea that you're about to articulate yep. to us. So, to your faith, add goodness, and to goodness, knowledge. So there's that you know not being an empty self. Yeah. Uh, and to knowledge, self-control. So now you're getting into you know discipline and you know the moral realm, mm-hmm. and to self-control, perseverance. So now you're sticking with your faith. You're not like those people who put their hand up that might be seed that fell in the rocky soil, and when persecution comes, they they fall away. Yeah. To perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Mm. For if you possess these these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive Mm. in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, we're told, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Mm. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mm. Again, we're not are, 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 we're not transformed by the emptying of our minds, but by the renewing of our minds. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And then there's one more, uh, Colossians 3, uh, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which is what Peter ended with, and which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So one, there are a lot of ideas there. One of them is, you know, uh, Psalm 119 says, How can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your word? I've hidden my word in your heart that I might not sin against you. So one way to grow is, like, like it says here, you know, let the word of Christ dwell in you. Um, you know, meditate on God's word. And to, to store it in your heart means to memorize it, to meditate on it. And I think yeah. that's a key spiritual discipline. Hebrews 4 says the word of God is living and active. It's almost like it's reading you while you read it. It's like an, an organism, obviously not in the biological sense, but it's it's living, it's active, it's refining. Um, and, you know, the psalmists are right. Like it's it's rich, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, it's delicious, it's edifying. It does all these things that, that grow you, that renew your mind, that help yeah. you put on these attitudes, put on these virtues. They add to your knowledge. It just so much of the the engine of Christian growth and living. Part of its prayer, you know, there are different disciplines. Part of its prayer, um, which could, could include fasting, if you yeah. like an intense time of prayer. Part of it's certainly giving, but I think a key part of it is also, uh, you know, not neglecting. God's word, which feeds the heart and the mind. It's, right. it's doing more than one function at a time. It's feeding yeah. your mind and it's encouraging your heart yeah. and letting, it's giving God a chance to give you wisdom and speak into your life and convict you. And that's how the spirit I think works in many ways as he, as you read God's word, he works in you. Yeah. I've had, I've heard it said, or I've said this to a couple students having a background in exercise science is your, after a workout, your recovery meals are really important, right? So what if I were to tell you, Hey, I'm going to work out for two and a half, three hours every day, and I'm not going to eat. And I'm just going to do that for months. I'm not going to eat. I'm just going to work out. I mean, obviously, Randy, how would you feel about my physical health? You'd be probably pretty concerned. I'd be waiting for you to collapse. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And what's interesting is that uh, Jesus actually calls this the bread of life. Um, 
and he actually calls himself that bread and that if you come and uh, come to me and uh, you eat my flesh and drink my blood, uh, you will have eternal life with me in paradise, all those kinds of, all of those kinds of things. And what's fascinating is uh, that's what we're doing to ourselves spiritually is we're saying, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to come into this world where every single thing is fighting against my soul. Everything is vying for my attention and my priority. And my soul's going to get hungry. My, my spirit's going to, going to, going to be starving and thirsty, but I'm just not going to eat. And so it's like saying, I'm going to work out every single day for two to three hours and not eat. And physically you will collapse. And yet we wonder why our spirit is collapsing when, sure, yeah, I raised my hand once. I'm a Christian. I was baptized. I had all of the experiences, but I just feel like God's so far away. And what's crazy is, is that God isn't the one who goes far away. It's usually us who's meandered away from him. Um, and he is just waiting for us to turn and speak to him and to invite him back into our lives with him. Not, again, from a salvation perspective, right, but from a... He wants to do life with us, just like a father wants to do life with his sons and his daughters. Um, so, the, yeah. So, in regards to that, John fifteen verses five through seven: I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Mm-hmm. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you. Mm. Ask whatever you wish, and it'll be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear f- much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And he tells, you know, Satan, he, and he, Jesus knows the Old Testament. He quotes Deuteronomy. Uh, you know, it, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Yes. The chapter before, in John, he says, whoever has my commands and obeys them. So you have to have his commands and obey them. You have to know mm-hmm. them and obey them. Mm-hmm. He's the one who loves me. Yeah. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love myself, or love him and, and show myself to him. If you yeah. want the son and the father to come, you know, walk through life with you and abide with you. You need yeah. to abide with them. But if you, he's, he's connecting love and obedience yeah. and knowledge of his commands and yeah. having his, word, having his word remain in you, or some, some translations say abide in you. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, I'm the vine, you're the branches. I mean, yeah. a branch needs nutrients. It needs right. sap. It needs right. life to flow to it from, right. you know, the vine. Jesus is the vine. We're the branches. Right. If we don't connect with him, like he yeah. says, we wither. Yeah. We, 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 we don't grow. We, we stagnate. We, we, right. we get lost and we shipwreck things. And yeah. so. so what does this look like? So like let's so let's uh, we're coming up on about 50 ish minutes here, 57 minutes here. So let's let's wrap this up. Practic- yep. Practically, what we're talking about here is we're talking about um, uh, the idea of dis- disciplines. So so maybe you're a stay at home mom and you've got craziness going on at your house and you don't have the time to sit down with your tea and your herbal essence candle and just open up God's word and meditate on it, right? Maybe you don't have that ability, but you have flashcards and you can memorize a verse, memorize a Psalm, memorize a proverb, memorize something that you can just rehash, write it on, put it on your mirror, something that allows you to constantly see God's word in the the, the split second moment. You have a quick time to Mm -hmm. see God's word in your life, right? That's one very simple, practical way to see God and his word in your life. Um, uh, and fasting might be out of the question. If you're a nursing mom, it's just not healthy for you to fast. No, don't fast. Don't fast, okay? so but your doctor you, tells you to do for some medical reason. Exactly. So that's just not a, a, an avenue for you. But maybe you can fast from your phone, right? Maybe you can uh, put aside... Uh, delicacies or sugar or something along those lines that demonstrates your dependency on that thing to illustrate to you your dependency on God's word and God to sustain and satisfy you, right? Those are the practices that help you identify your subhumanness, your dependency on these things. You gave a sermon just recently on money Mm -hmm. and how when we pursue those things with our time and our efforts, that those things can become idols in our lives. So what if it's a purposefully taken a vacation where at the end of your vacation, you don't respond to any emails, you just delete them all, right? That you literally take a full-fledged vacation, complete disconnect, not do 60 hours the week before, take the week off to do 60 hours the next week, right? You literally take the entirety of the time off, Um 
again, those are just some simple ways of being able to do that. Do you have anything you would like to throw yeah. into that practically? Yeah, I mean, if you have the life circumstances or you can rearrange things, even if it might require some, some drastic steps to have a quiet time, you, you typically that, that Christianese term, a quiet time, but it's a yeah. good, I mean, you often see Jesus going away to lonely places to pray. Yeah. It's usually early because yeah. um, you're, at least most people, once they've had coffee or something, maybe they're a bit more fresh in the morning. It's yeah. not as chaotic. It's quiet. <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, so certainly a quiet time in the habit there is, again, God's word and prayer. Yeah. Um, if you're into, if, if journaling is helpful, you're into that, you like that, you know, journal, Great. you could, um, do other reading as well. Like, yeah. like philosophical foundations or a good yeah. book on theology. Now, circumstance where you're either like a single mom or a stay-at-home mom, or you've got a lot of kids. That's, that's my wife's situation. She loves Tim Keller podcasts. She's always putting them on her phone. Yeah. She's got, uh, the, the Christian worship music channel on Pandora yeah. and that's playing while she's hanging out with the kids. My yeah. kids hear a lot of Christian music. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, nothing else that puts her like in a, a spiritually, you know, sensitive and, and worshipful state. Yeah. Um, you know, it's again, memorizing, having flashcards, just quick little things. It could be more drastic things. I mean, this is getting a little bit far afield, but there's a really good book. Um, it's certainly from a more charismatic Pentecostal kind of background, which, which is fine. Yeah. I, I know we're a, we're a Wesleyan church and right. so we're, we're all for that. Um, yeah. but it's a book called the cross and the switchblade. It's about a, a, a rural pastor who started a very, very, you know, powerful movement uh, in New York City with gang members. They made a whole movie about it. But what, what stood out to me when I read that, amongst other things, was early on, he sold his TV and devoted the two hours he was watching TV every night to praying. Wow. And that, that was life and ministry changing, not just for him, but for dozens and dozens of gang members. Because that led him to feel led to go to New York. Yeah. And... Out of just out of nowhere, but he got wow. rid, he got rid of that that TV. I was talking to somebody. After, this is a little bit far afield too, but like if there, if there's debt, like if you have money, yeah. I think giving's a part of this. Money and time, and yeah. you know, someone was saying, I I'm, I may have to cut giving. We have debt. I said, well, before you do that, see what you can sell. Go down to one car, sell yeah. your TV, put Ooh. the assets on the table. Like yeah. So if there's a distraction, and then maybe don't sell your TV. Maybe cancel Netflix. <laughs> Oh, so yeah. you can only, so you can only watch DVDs. Yeah. At least your kids will still have something if you know if they want yeah. VeggieTales or yeah. My house is Mighty Machines or whatever. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, but just whatever is a time thief. So build build a time budget if you need to and see where your time's wow. going, which I know will all, it, itself take time. I get that, yep. but see where your time's going. To people typically have more time than they realize. Um, every week I get a screen viewing report from my phone. It's like you spend an hour and a half a day. Yeah. On your phone. On this, yeah. And so that. Just even freeing up. To, now, again, if you're tired, if you have young kids, your mind might just be too foggy. And, and yeah. grace to you, I get that. So yeah. it, it could just be podcasts. It could be music. Yeah. It could be, you know, just being. In, and again, the one thing we haven't said is be in community. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. Uh, Hebrews 10, you know, like, let us not get, let right. us not give up meeting together. Some are in the habit of doing, but let, let us encourage each other. Yeah. And all the more, as we see the day approaching, yeah. keep being in community. Be with brothers and sisters who will encourage you to go yeah. farther than you would naturally go on your own. Yeah. Be around people who will point you to Christ. Um, well, that's incredible that you would say that because we actually have a podcast coming up here really soon uh, that's called Spiritual Friendship. Uh, and it's about that very topic of finding people who will walk with you in spiritual friendships uh, that won't just let you kind of be like, I'm just going to live this way because I want to, but that they are actively helping you live at the human level of Christ, yeah. right? That, that he has called you to live like in that community. Right, as best as we can on this side of glory, right? Not to steal too much of that podcast that I just learned about myself. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, Proverbs says a, a wound from a friend you can trust. Yeah. And so Man. give people the permission to speak truth. People you know have your best interest at heart. Give them permission to speak truth in your yeah. life and to, to call you back to sanity in an insane moment. Yeah. That's that's good. That's healthy. It's hard. Yeah. It's awkward. Yeah. Um, yeah. For, for sure. But so... Again, a lot of this sounds like, well, have a quiet time, do all these things on my own. Yeah. Don't do it alone. Right. Do it in community. Do it with people. Yeah. And so to kind of leave you guys with a question, uh, in Galatians 5, we did a, a Lectio Divina this past month. Um, we really encourage you guys to go back and check that out. One of the, uh, I was in uh, Galatians 5, this very, this very passage, and it, it talks about this verse in verse 7, where it says, you were running well. Who prevented you from obeying the truth? And so I kind of want to just challenge you guys as we challenged you in that podcast to just think about your life, think about these past couple months, these past couple weeks, and, and ask yourself the question, 
who or what has been causing me to live at a subhuman level? Who or what has been causing me to not obey the truth? Um, and to, to let that speak to you. And then, and then as Randy said, find community, find a group of people who want to walk in that truth and who want to run towards Jesus in a way that shines the light of Christ in every situation. Um, man, this was a lot of fun guys. Thank you for sticking with us during this time. Uh, we hope you guys found this challenging, but we also hope you guys found this encouraging and Christ centered, um, as we are trying to answer and walk closer towards Jesus through doubts and questions. And, uh, man, this was a lot of fun. Randy, thank you. Thanks again for coming, man. Yeah, my pleasure. Awesome. All right, guys, we'll see you guys later. Don't forget to like subscribe, um, and leave any comments that you might have. Uh, thanks guys again so much. We'll see you guys soon.